0: hello and welcome again to the byland clinic podcast Uh, episode number four here um starting to get a little used to talking to the camera so uh, anyhow uh, in the last episode uh spent some time uh really talking about what a specific learning disability is right this sort of unexpected underachievement in reading writing or math and and then we kind of did a bit of a deep dive uh into dyslexia which is a a type of learning disorder so uh, an unexpected underachievement in reading specifically uh, word reading fluency uh, and spelling and we did a few other things Uh, so if you haven't uh, listened to that podcast yet uh, you might want to go back and listen to it Um, we're going to kind of build off of that podcast uh, in this discussion today, so some of the other things we talked about is just sort of generally, right? Like how is a learning disorder determined, and and we talked about that unexpected underachievement being unexpected given the child's age and their and their intellectual ability uh, and their educational history, and that that underachievement has to be statistically significant. Uh, we also talked about sort of core uh, conceptual abilities. So. When we're looking at a child's development in reading, writing, or math, we can we can compare it to other kids their age. That's that's pretty straightforward. Um, the other thing that that we do clinically and and in the schools is is compare their development in uh, reading, writing, or math uh, to their conceptual abilities. And these conceptual abilities are kind of like these abstract things, right? Um, and it's not always really clear uh, when. Uh, someone completes a psychoeducational evaluation like what is it that we're even comparing this to you know We sort of have this sort of general sense of intellectual ability But the the truth is there's no definition of what that thing even is so, you know, we talked about things like um, verbal ability So a child's vocabulary and verbal reasoning or visual spatial skills and their ability to kind of create images in their mind's eye and and orient those images, and see how different parts fit together to create something new. Um, and we also talked about uh, something that's called fluid reasoning, but but essentially just your ability to perceive patterns in information, right? To to see patterns that allow us to predict what might come next, right? Or uh, kind of perceive patterns in information that allow us to then solve problems we haven't seen before because we're kind of able to gather the evidence and and sort of see how everything fits together and. Uh, and also kind of generalized learning. So these are these sort of core areas of uh, conceptual ability that we then compare development in reading, writing, or math to, right? And so we talked about that. Now, why am I doing this, right? So, uh, you know, I've talked about this in earlier podcasts, but, but my aim here is to, to hopefully provide some help for the just general population of people, you know, namely parents of kids with learning differences to understand what in the world is in these uh, assessment reports that they receive because uh, um they don't make sense right they, they don't make sense to 99.9 percent of people they they include uh, statistics that are foreign to people they they include a lot of different psychological constructs that are foreign to really everybody right other than the psychologist at the table and uh and yet the psychologist presents all this information and then at an IP meeting, for example, and everyone's supposed to make a decision around the child's eligibility for services or what those services should look like, and, and the report doesn't make any darn sense, right? So uh, so trying to uh, to help out with that a bit. Now, besides the sort of foreign concepts and, or constructs, right, and, and all the statistics, a, another reason why they don't make a whole lot of sense is is they're oftentimes written about the test right they're they're not even written about the child so they give all these test descriptions and test scores and descriptions of the tests the individual tests that were given right and and then somehow people are supposed to extract some kind of meaning from that and and sort of put all the pieces together and and understand how we reached some conclusion and it's just not a really effective way to write for the reader you know so um, one of the things that we're doing here is kind of breaking it down um based on different uh, like constructs or different ideas, right? And, and seeing how all the pieces fit together. So we talked about dyslexia and what dyslexia is and the areas of processing related to dyslexia and how it's diagnosed and things like that. And, and now we're gonna try to do the same thing for writing. Uh, so anyway, we, I, I should probably <laughs> stop rambling on about all that stuff um, that we covered last time, right? But, um, but let's talk about uh, specific learning Disorders in the area of writing. Okay, now this is oftentimes referred to as dysgraphia, right? So we talked about dyslexia It's a reading disorder uh, learning disorder in the area of reading uh, dysgraphia is a learning disorder in the area of writing uh, And usually what people are talking about when they talk about dysgraphia has to do with the the motor aspect of writing, right? so so handwriting is just a uh, completely illegible uh and and really sort of outside of the continuum of what we would expect for a child that age so that's what we oftentimes are referring to when we talk about dysgraphia but that's not the only reason that reading or writing breaks down right so you know we spent a lot of time talking about dyslexia last time well you know if, if you can't read the words you're probably not able to spell them and if you can't write the words you can't write and so so some kids struggle with writing because, well, because of their dyslexia, right? Um, that's just too big of a, a barrier for them when it comes to writing. And, and yet others, you know, they've got okay uh, sort of handwriting and their spelling is okay. And, and yet they still just really struggle to get the ideas from their mind onto paper. And uh, we'll talk about that a bit. Um, usually that's related to some type of... Uh, Executive dysfunction right or or impaired executive functioning abilities. And so, uh, we'll, you know, we'll talk about uh, what that is here uh, in just a minute Um, Okay, so I guess we'll sort of just jump right in there, right? So um, let's start with the handwriting piece, right? So Gosh, it's so much bigger than just handwriting. Um, So we'll talk about that in a sec, but but from an assessment standpoint, um, usually uh, in a psychoeducational evaluation, or, or maybe a child received an occupational therapy evaluation or a neuropsych assessment, uh, they're going to look at their their motor development, and they're going to look at things like their fine motor control, but which are essentially tasks where kids are tracing stuff, right? Um, there's others, you know, but but the big, frequently given ones are basically tracing or or what they call visual motor integration, which is Essentially, the child's ability to to integrate their visual perception, right? So, are, are they, are they per, visually are they perceiving forms accurately, and then and then their ability to to copy it? And usually, that's just copying different geometric shapes, and they get sort of increasing complexity. Now, uh, oftentimes, when kids struggle with fine motor control or or visual motor integration, then then it really impacts their development in terms of forming letters or forming numbers or lining up numbers on a page when they're doing math, right? Or, or their sizing and spacing and um, placement of letters on the page when they're writing. Uh, now, I, personally, I'm not sure that goes far enough to just look at that, right? Um, because I've seen kids who have had adequate fine motor control and visual motor integration on these kind of novel tasks where they're copying shapes, but their handwriting is still terrible. And I've seen the opposite. I've seen kids with really bad fine motor control, and their handwritings might not be the best. It's not winning any awards, but it's all right, you know? And so I really think it's important that we're also actually looking at handwriting. So we're we're actually looking at letter formation and sizing and spacing and, in addition to that you know we're looking at you know uh, sequencing and copying speed and and motor planning uh, you know required to, to write letters that are the correct size and formation and spacing in order to fit um, in the allotted space and so I think it's really important to take a look at those now when we see kids that have deficits in these areas and and those deficits are widely outside of what we'd expect given their age and intellectual ability uh, a lot of times that's referred to as like a graphomotor dysgraphia right and so their uh, their fine motor control uh, and handwriting is really impacting their ability to, to produce written language now uh, that's number one right so we've got this sort of graphomotor dysgraphia now like I said before some kids really struggle with writing because they struggle to spell and uh, I'm not going to go into a lot of depth here because we did talk about this uh, quite a bit in the last podcast. So if you haven't heard that and and this is of interest to you, I'd I'd encourage you to listen to it. Um, But we did discuss uh, dyslexia and the areas of processing uh, related to uh, impaired reading ability and the same areas of processing, the phonological processing, orthographic processing, rapid naming will also impact spelling ability too. uh now this last um area in which uh reading or or not reading writing rather uh starts to break down is uh when it comes to uh working memory and other executive functions so um sort of pause here for a moment and and provide a little bit more information in terms of what those things are right because because now here i am right using all these different uh terms and and constructs that just aren't familiar to most people right because you don't you don't do this for a living um and so let's start there, right? So this idea of working memory, um, you know, it's not my ability to retain information, right? It's, it's essentially my ability to keep information active in my awareness, uh, keep all the information uh, that I need to perform a task active in my awareness in order to execute the task, right? So, so any sort of complex, series of, of movements right is going to require working memory because I've got to keep track of all of those things in my mind while I'm doing it and and so uh, a real clear example of this for parents would be you know you tell your child to go do three things and and they do one right now now through the lens of working memory what's happened there is they've heard the three things uh, but they haven't kept it active in their awareness long enough in order to be able to to do all of those things right so maybe they do the first thing or the, or they do the last thing and, and they generally forgot what it was that they were supposed to do right so that's working memory now that's one very key critical executive function right uh, but there's others so you know we talk about executive functioning we're also talking about our ability to to regulate our attention uh, to think flexibly and be able to shift gears from one task to another uh, my ability to inhibit kind of impulsive or automatic reactions uh, in order to uh, regulate my attention and, and perform the tasks that that I need to do right without getting uh, distracted or off task uh, or off track. Now, those are these sort of core uh, sort of neurocognitive executive uh, functions. But practically, right? Like, what does that mean? That it, that means I'm I'm able to focus my attention, uh, and I'm able to filter out distractions, and I'm able to inhibit impulsive behaviors, and and I'm also able to plan uh, because of that, and and those things also allow me to sort of organize tasks and activities. It it allows me to self-monitor my work and make corrections as needed, and 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 then allows me to to really sort of stay on task and see things through to completion. All all of those are really important executive functions. Now. Why is that so important for 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 writing? Well, yeah, I would say most academic tasks, well, everything requires some degree of executive function, I suppose, unless they're they're overlearned automatic tasks that we don't think about, right? Uh, But anything that requires uh, effort um, and focus is going to require executive functions. And, and I would say that probably no, uh, I don't. I don't think that there's any academic task uh, to sort of speaking generally here that that requires more executive function than writing i mean uh just think about all the things we've talked about so far right so you know all the different components of this task it's really very complex i mean there's the motor aspect of it right so um now if your those skills are intact then then that becomes sort of automatic you don't have to think about it but but for young writers that that's part of it right i've got to think about my letter formation and and then spelling right i've got to make sure i'm spelling things correctly but but that's not it right i've got um uh, you know all the all the mechanics of writing, right? Like all the all the uh, punctuations and capitalization and, and uh, all of the grammatical rules I have to to, to sort of be aware of and, and um, comply with as I'm writing. But but even beyond that, right? Like like even all of those sort of um, mechanical aspects of writing. You know I also have to plan what it is that I'm going to write. Uh, I have to be able to organize. Uh, my ideas in a way that is going to make sense to the reader. I've got to sequence the events um, as I'm writing. And and really, as I'm doing that, I'm, I'm having to put myself in the shoes of the reader, right? I'm having to sort of imagine I'm the, the reader at that point uh, and be able to then provide sufficient, uh, not just organization and, and sequencing, but sufficient details, right? To, to really be able to effectively communicate what it is that I want to say. And and all of that requires tremendous executive functioning capacity. And so so when we see uh, kids struggle with executive functioning, oftentimes we see them struggling with their writing as well. And um, and just another way in which uh, you know kids can struggle and 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 what I hear most often from parents are or these are the kids where they'll say hey He's a bright kid. Uh, he's got a lot of great ideas. He can talk to you about subjects <laughs> At length, right? I mean sometimes, you know longer than we even Wish for but they can't get those ideas down on paper, right? Uh, and that's because in all likelihood they, they struggle with the executive uh functioning that's required in order to be able to organize all those thoughts and and then communicate them in a very structured way. Uh, And so uh, so those are a number of different ways in which writing can start to break down. And and then we have a a child that may be presenting with a learning disorder in the area of writing. And so so clearly, right, I mean, there's these are you know, we talked about reading, we talked about word reading, fluency, and spelling, and and how that can break down into different areas of psychological processing. You know, you, here we have um, really sort of wide-reaching areas uh, of cognitive processing, right? Everything from from fine motor control to uh, areas of language processing related to reading uh, to these executive functioning abilities. Uh, and we really want to know what it is that's getting in the way because that's obviously going to really have a uh, greatly influence what it is we're going to do to then be able to help the child out uh, and help them um, you know learn more efficiently and perform better in school right and so that, so the assessments have to not only just look at handwriting and spelling and, and writing fluency and written expression uh, but also look at these areas of, of processing that that might help to explain why it is that they're having that trouble so uh, so that's dysgraphia right our specific learning disability in the area of writing um, now, I, I feel uh, compelled here to, to just sort of say again, uh, you know, this isn't diagnostic in any way. Um, you know, obviously, if, if you have questions about your child, uh, you know, I don't know your child and so I'm not, not making any sort of uh, diagnosis here or specific recommendations. And, and broadly speaking, you know, I, I do like to talk about special education uh, regulations and, and laws, um, but of course I'm not an attorney and so uh, if you have specific questions about your child or their situation whether it's their assessment or their treatment uh, or um, sort of how to navigate the special education system i would just recommend contacting uh, a professional who can Uh, help guide you um, with your specific case now if you have questions about this podcast um, about uh, dysgraphia uh, or really any other related topic I I would love to hear them Um, I'd love to hear your questions I'd love to hear your suggestions for future podcasts and other topics you'd like to hear me discuss and you can do that by reaching out to me at info at drjamesbyland.com uh, That's info at dr j a m e dcom uh or on social media uh, so i'm on facebook and instagram uh, at the byland clinic uh just learning how to navigate this social media stuff here so uh Uh, i i think i'm getting a little bit better at it but but never did it personally right so trying to figure it all out professionally here but but um you can contact me there Uh, again i would um you know i would uh, love to hear from you Uh, and as always i just really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to this i i can um, genuinely say i am uh, forever grateful that that you've taken a little bit of your time uh, to listen to me talk about these subjects Passionate about them. I I, I I love learning about these things and and discussing them with people and and ultimately um, being able to help out kids and families. And so uh, so thank you again uh, and and again. Don't hesitate to reach out. I, I would love to hear from you. Take care.